Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart departs from the Lord. So this was the problem, and this is always the problem. The problem is the refusal to trust God and the insistence on trusting ourselves or trusting on human wisdom or man's strategy or man's plan. And that's pretty much a description of the world we live in, right? Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study through the books of the Old Testament prophets. Join us as Pastor Brian begins his teaching on Jeremiah chapters 16 through 20. Now here's Pastor Brian. All right, so we're going to pick up in the 16th chapter of Jeremiah. So if you want to turn to Jeremiah chapter 16 with me, and we are going to go from chapter 16 through the 20th chapter, keeping with our five chapters a week so we can make it through these books of the Old Testament. So I want to begin with a correction. It wasn't Josiah's servants who were mocked when um, Josiah held that great Passover. There were a lot of things that happened in regard to that Passover with the cleansing of the land, uh, but it was actually in the time of Hezekiah who had a similar experience with the Passover. It was the servants of Hezekiah that were mocked. And uh, my wife very gently broke that news to me last week right after the study, and I affirmed that she was right. I went back and read Kings and Chronicles just to make sure that she was right. So, you know, I said to double check there. So. so just for the record. All right. So chapter 16. And remember, I'm kind of trying to give just sort of a just a sentence or two that, that gives a synopsis of the chapter. And then we're, we're looking at specific portions of each chapter. So chapter 16 really is Jeremiah's life in view of the coming judgment. So God is basically going to use Jeremiah as an illustration. He's going to use his life as an illustration because of the judgment that's coming. And then also in the 16th chapter, there's a section on God's mercy to the Gentiles. And so let's look here at verse one. The word of the Lord also came to me saying, you shall not take a wife nor shall you have sons or daughters in this place. For thus says the Lord concerning the sons and daughters who were born in this place and concerning their mothers who bore them and their fathers who begot them in this land, they shall die gruesome deaths. They shall not be lamented, nor shall they be buried, but they shall be like refuse on the face of the earth They shall be consumed by the sword and by famine, and their corpses shall be meat for the birds of heaven and for the beast of the earth. And so basically what God is showing Jeremiah is everything that is normal is going to, it's going away. There's nothing going to be normal again. So normally you get married, you have children, that's not going to happen. 
Um, normally, somebody dies, you have a, a funeral service for them. That's not going to happen. There are going to be so many deaths, there's no ability to have services for them. So again, God is talking about this severe judgment that is coming upon the land. And so verse 5, thus says the Lord, do not enter the house of mourning, nor go to lament or bemoan them, for I have taken away my peace from this people, says the Lord, my loving kindness and my mercies. And so, wow, that's, that's heavy stuff. But remember, again, this is after literally centuries of God pleading with the nation and forgiving them over and over again. But now this generation in Jeremiah's time is a generation that is just absolutely entrenched in its rebellion. There's no budging them. We're going to see that as we go through. We're going to see that with the priest and we're going to see that with the false prophets and we're going to see that with the king. And so it is a situation that is just beyond repair. There's nothing God can do because of the hardness of the heart except now to bring a judgment. And so verse nine, for thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, behold, I will cause to cease from this place before your eyes and in your days, the voice of mirth and the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride. And so in Jeremiah's day, so again, at this point, the Lord is telling him, You're, this is how soon this judgment is coming. You're gonna see it with your own eyes. And speaking of the people, verse 12, and you have done worse than any of your fathers, for behold, each one follows the dictates of his own evil heart so that no one listens to me. So that keeps recurring, right? The dictates of their hearts. This is how they live. That'll come up again, and I'll say something else about it when we get there. So verse 14, therefore behold the days are coming, says the Lord, that it shall no more be said, the Lord lives who brought up the children of Israel from the land of Egypt, but... The Lord lives who brought up the children of Israel from the land of the north and from all of the lands where he had driven them. So remember now, this is, so this is a prophecy. They're going to be driven out of the land. And where it used to be that they would say the Lord lives who delivered the children of Israel from Egypt, after this catastrophic situation and after this carrying away into captivity and even as it extends even into the, the present time, in the future, the deliverance will be so great that it will eclipse the deliverance uh, from Egypt because the captivity is even greater than the captivity in Egypt. So that's the idea behind what's being said here. He says, for I will bring them back into their land, which I gave to their fathers. So implying I'm gonna drive them out and therefore I'm gonna bring them in. Behold, I will send for many fishermen, says the Lord, and they shall fish them. And afterward, I will send for many hunters and they shall hunt them from every mountain and every hill and out of every hole of the rocks. This is not good, this is bad. So, you know, hunters and fishermen here. For my eyes are on all their ways. They are not hidden from my face, nor is their iniquity hidden from my eyes. And first I will repay double for their iniquity and their sin because they have defiled my land and have filled my inheritance with the carcasses of their detestable and abominable idols. So now 
verse 19. O Lord, my strength and my fortress, my refuge in the day of affliction, the Gentiles shall come to you from the ends of the earth and say, surely our fathers have inherited lies, worthless and unprofitable things. So here's a prophecy about the ingathering of the Gentiles. So the word Gentile, uh, you know, we find the word Gentile all over the Bible, right? We find it in the Old Testament, New Testament. Um, and it, it comes from the Hebrew word goyim, which is the word for nations. So Gentiles are basically all of the people who are outside of Israel. And when we come to the New Testament, um, it means the same thing in the New Testament, but sometimes in the New Testament, it's synonymous with unbelievers. So the Gentile nations, remember God chooses this one nation, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, their descendants, and he sets them apart and he does a work among them. And although out in the nations, there's still the work of God going on, uh, there's no covenant relationship with the nations. It's just with Israel. So during the time of Israel's being set aside by God, this is the time when his work takes place predominantly among the Gentiles. And that is, that's what's been happening since the time of Christ. So God's focus was on the nation of Israel all the way till the coming of Jesus and the death and resurrection of Jesus and the subsequent rejection of the nation by Jesus uh, or rejection of Jesus by the nation. And then what happened, the Holy Spirit came down on the day of Pentecost. The gospel went from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the nations, to the Gentiles, to the ends of the earth. And so this is uh, basically predicting that that is going to happen. And the Gentiles are going to say, our fathers inherited lies, worthless and unprofitable things. And we would see the, the Gentiles, especially in the early history of the church, turning from their idolatry and the worthless things they inherited from their forefathers and, and coming to put their faith in the true God through faith in his son, Jesus. And we see that very thing still happening today. And so verse 21, therefore, behold, I will this once cause them to know, I will cause them to know my hand and my might, and they shall know that my name is the Lord. So there's a beautiful passage in, um, I think it's in Malachi. Yeah, it's at the end of Malachi. And it's talking about how, and this is, you know, Malachi was written after the Babylonian captivity. And so sometimes there's an assumption, people have this assumption that after the captivity, the children of Israel were cured from their idolatry and they came back into the land repentant and everything kind of got better from that point on. Um, that's not really the picture. They were cured from their idolatry, but they found other sins to engage in. And so there's this passage in Malachi that speaks of the hardness of the heart of the priest and how the priest really were not into the worship. They, you know, it was a burden to open the doors of the temple and to go through the sacrifices. It would just all seem like a big hassle to them. That was the attitude of the people. But then the Lord said this, but from the rising of the sun till it's going down, my name shall be praised among the Gentiles. And so again, that's the prophecy 
the same thing that Jeremiah is saying here, that the gospel would go to the Gentiles and the Gentiles would receive it. And so here we are, we're living in that time. And, and yet we see, you know, even in our own national situation or even in more a broader Western context, we see that those people who had heard the gospel and been influenced by the gospel and in some degree welcomed the gospel, we see those nations, this nation, doing the same thing that Israel did, basically growing harder and harder and harder toward the gospel. But then we see a picture like we did of these children in the Philippines, and we see all different peoples all around the world that would basically say, come and tell us the gospel, when people in the Western context are saying, don't tell us the gospel anymore. We're sick of it. We don't want to hear it. And, you know, there's been a lot of research and study that's gone on and books that have been written about how the center of Christianity has shifted from the Northern Hemisphere to the Southern Hemisphere. And now there are more Christians in South America, Central America, Africa, that's becoming the center of Christianity where the Northern Hemisphere and especially the Western nations have basically turned a deaf ear to it. So the Western nations are following in the the footsteps of the nation of Israel. Chapter 17, God's promises for those that trust and obey, as well as a revelation of man's true condition, and then uh, Jeremiah, a prayer for healing. Uh, chapter 17 is is very significant chapter. So look what it says. The sin of Judah is written with an iron pen with the point of a diamond. It is engraved on the tablet of the heart. So the, what's being implied here is that the heart is so hard, but the sin is written on it with a diamond. So, you know, a, a hard surface, a, a diamond can, only a diamond can penetrate that hard surface, but that's how, that's how hard the heart of the people has become. And so down in verse five, thus says the Lord, cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart departs from the Lord. So this was the problem, of course, and this is always the problem. The problem is the refusal to trust God and the insistence on trusting ourselves or trusting on human wisdom or, you know, man's strategy or man's plan. And that's pretty much a description of the world we live in, right? everyone following the dictates of their own heart, everyone doing what is right in their own eyes and coming up with philosophies and and theories and systems that are supposed to bring flourishing and prosperity and all of this. And and yet it it never happens because there is a built-in curse upon the systems of, of man apart from God. And no system of man can ever succeed. No one ever has and no one ever will. So the person who trusts in man, whether it be in themselves or in other people, 
um, and makes flesh his strength, whose heart departs from the Lord, shall be like a shrub in the desert. Wow. A shrub in the desert. That's not a real pleasant picture. And shall not see when good comes, but shall inhabit the parched places in the wilderness in a salt land which is not inhabited. So again, this is the, this is the outcome of following the ideas of, of human beings in rebellion to God. It only results in a dried up and withered life. It cannot result in anything other than that. But in contrast, blessed is the man or the person who trusts in the Lord and whose hope is the Lord for that person shall be like a tree planted by the waters which spreads out its roots by the river and will not fear when heat comes, but its leaf will be green and will not be anxious in the year of drought, nor will cease from yielding fruit. It's almost like Jeremiah is, is almost quoting verbatim from Psalm 1. Did you recognize that? Very similar picture to what we read in Psalm 1 about the blessed person as the one who delights in the law of the Lord and meditates in his law day and night, and that person will be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. And so the person who trusts the Lord is the person who is blessed. That's the reality. And it doesn't necessarily have anything to do with material prosperity. It doesn't have necessarily anything to do with the things that people uh, would say mark the blessed life, but it has... Uh, to do with the things that money can't buy. It has to do with true love and peace and joy and purpose and those kinds of things. That's how the righteous flourish. They flourish in those areas that actually mean something and are significant. Now, verse nine. Verse nine is one of the, it's just interesting how it's just here in this segment of, of Jeremiah But this is a key verse in the Bible as far as defining the human condition. Look what it says. The heart is deceitful above all things, desperately wicked. Who can know it? The heart. So the heart is a reference. When the Bible speaks of the heart, you know, um, out of the heart proceeds or loving God with all your heart, it's talking about the the totality of who we are. It's our mind, it's our will, it's it's all of us who, you know, our deepest being is, is our heart. And what the scripture tells us is that the condition of every single person in the depths of our being is that we are wicked. We are wicked. And this is not a message that is appreciated by people. Nobody wants to, to be told they're wicked. As a matter of fact, this is one of the, the major contentions between God and humanity from all the way, all the way back to the very beginning. I mean, go all the way back to Adam. What's going on here? 
the woman that you gave me. That's the problem as far as Adam is concerned. And then Cain and Abel, and Cain kills his brother. And what's the problem? Well, the problem is not in Cain as far as he's concerned. The problem is, is something else. And, and this is always the case, and this is the case today. And the, the view of, you know, the, the secular humanist view of mankind is that we are, at the core of our being, we're actually good. That, that's the, the huge conflict that exists between humanism and the biblical revelation. Humanism says that people are basically good uh, inside, you know, and, and you know, we, we hear stuff like that all the time. Yeah, I know that they did this, and I know that looks really bad, but, you know, deep in their heart, they're a really good person. I mean, how many times have we heard that? How many times have we even said that? There are times when the depths of, of the depravity that's there in our heart that resides there, there are times when it actually has occasion to rise up and to overflow and, and to be seen in, on individual level and then other times on, um, you know, even a, a larger, more collective level. But you think of the person who outwardly seems to be a relatively good person and then you find out that they committed this horrific crime and nobody can believe it. It's like, but wait, uh, how, how could that even happen? And who would have ever known that that kind of wickedness was there in the heart? Well, God knows it, and he said it. And, and notice what he says. This is important. Who can know it? The implication there is that we are more wicked than we could ever know. We would never think about ourselves in the terms um, that are laid out here. We, we would not naturally think we are as wicked as we are. We would always give ourselves a little bit of a better grade than we deserve. Who can know it? Do you know, going back to the time of the, the Holocaust and the Second World War and, and all of those things, you know, I, I mean, this is a fact of history. It's been displayed over and over again. But one of the marvels after it was all said and done was how this, this people, particularly the German people, who were educated, who were sophisticated, who were, I mean, they, they were a Christianized nation, so they were civilized as far as everybody knew, but then they ended up committing the most horrific, barbaric crimes against their fellow human beings, the Jews specifically. And... This was the marvel after it was all said and done. It was like, well, how could, how could these people that seem so just normal, how could this kind of behavior have come out of them? And now, let's join Pastor Brian in the studio as he shares about this month's resource on Back to Basics. An important aspect of the Christian life is understanding that we are in a spiritual battle. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, the Apostle Paul told us in Ephesians chapter 6, but we 
are in a war against these principalities and powers, against these spiritual beings. And so I've written a book that was at one time entitled Spiritual Warfare, but in the updated version, I changed the title to The Powers of Darkness and the People of God. And I think this is such an important book. So many of us go about experiencing the what is really the attack of, of the devil, but we don't even realize that that's what's going on. So this book will inform you not only of how to detect when the enemy's at work, but also of how to combat the various schemes of the enemy to mess with us and to undermine our faith and to just basically make our lives miserable. So I want to encourage you to pick up a copy of The Powers of Darkness and The People of God. Again, this month's resource is a book titled The Powers of Darkness and the People of God by Brian Broderson. You can order the book The Powers of Darkness and the People of God by going to our website, backtobasicsradio.com. Scroll down until you see the photo of it and then click on the donate button. When you give a gift to Back to Basics, we'll send you the book The Powers of Darkness and the People of God by Brian Broderson. It's our way of saying thank you for your generous support of this ministry. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the book of Isaiah. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.